Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books and Law, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Nick Posick, and today I'm speaking with Enrico Bonadio, whose recent book, Protecting Art in the Street, A Guide to Copyright in Street Art and Graffiti, was published this year by Document Press. Bare walls become blank canvases for vibrant art that introduces beauty, humor, and social critique into public spaces. While there's a debate about whether some street art is a nuisance or a benefit, it is nonetheless deeply integrated into the urban visual landscape and the identity of a city. Only recently, however, have the myriad of copyright issues surrounding street art surfaced. Enrico has been a leading thinker and scholar on street art as intellectual property, and this book is a succinct primer on this topic. Enrico, welcome to New Books in Law. Thanks for for having me. We're discussing your new book, Protecting Art in the Street, A Guide to Copyright in Street Art and Graffiti. Uh, This book is a fascinating read on an area of intellectual property that is quickly gaining attention. Street art and graffiti are terms that we hear used a lot to describe a certain genre of creative work. Uh, We have mental images of works we've seen, you know, either in person on the streets or in the media. Um, But often, you know, we use these terms graffiti and street art uh, imprecisely or interchangeably. For listeners who are, you know, largely legal scholars or uh, lawyers or law students, what do you mean when you write about street art and graffiti? I mean the two two different but close artistic movements. We need to distinguish at the beginning between street art and graffiti. Street art is more about figurative artworks with uh, lots of uh, figurative elements. Uh, Graffiti writing, uh, actually the modern graffiti, modern graffiti writing was born in New York City, first Philadelphia and then New York City at the end of the 60s, early 70s. And then it evolved into a lettering art form uh, through the 80s, 90s, and then uh, it, let's say, merged with uh, already existing artistic movements such as muralism. So we need to distinguish uh, graffiti lettering, which is about writing uh, names. See, graffiti writers, uh, that's what they do. They write their names with style, right? Adopting a quite quite different uh, kind of styles, wild style, Brooklyn style. I mean, the, 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 the kind of lettering styles, the kinds of lettering styles invented and developed in New York are so, you know, so many, and then they spread out to the world, I would say. On the other end, we have a street art, which, which is a concept that started more or less at the end of the 90s, mid, uh, late 90s. And again, it's a broad term, uh, to include not only paintings on walls, the most uh, you know uh, known form of street art, but also sticker art, wet pasting, uh, abandoning uh, miniatures, uh, objects on the street. So um, terminology here matters, matters a lot. So uh, we need to put everything in context, street art and graffiti, Together, I mean, looking at the street art and graffiti together makes sense when it comes to, for example, copyright, right? Because here we talk about artworks placed, created, and then placed in the public environment on the street, right? So this is what uh, 
uh, this is what uh, is similar of all these, uh, you know, uh, um, various forms of art in the street. They are on the street. They are in the public environment. Great. And I live in Queens, New York. In fact, we mentioned this uh, just a moment ago. I'm not far from the former Five Point site you mentioned in the book. Um, and it really was through Five Points litigation that I and I suspect many of our listeners began to think about street art as something that might be protected in some form. Um, with Five Points, it was under Vara. Uh, what compelled you to explore this intersection between street art and copyright and intellectual property? Well, I've always been interested in street art, in art in the street. From the very beginning, uh, one episode, one, one, one thing who, which made me fall in love with this form of art was when I was a teenager, getting out of school, uh, coming, um, coming out of school in the morning, late morning, early afternoon, in my hometown in Tuscany, which is Pisa in Italy, and uh, a guy, uh, I mean, some friends uh, told me, look, go to this square, which was Piazza Sant'Antonio in Pisa, and uh, there is an American guy painting on the back of a church. So I rushed there, and I saw a, a guy painting, really, this, this, this huge wall with um, um, people around him, uh, mainly teenagers, uh, uh, emceeing and playing uh, hip-hop and uh, breakdancing uh, on the street. So that was my first encounter with street art. After a few minutes, I learned that that guy was Keith Ehring, uh, who came to my city and painted this this huge wall. Sadly, then Keith Ehring would, would die just a few months later. But that was my first encounter with street art. I was a teenager at that time. Then, of course, I went to law school. I started specializing in IP and copyright. Uh, I was living already in Milan, working as a as a copyright lawyer in Milan. There was a good Milan in North Italy. There was a good street art scene at the end of, at the beginning of the two thousand. Right. Uh, it was it was actually booming. Then I moved to London at the end of the 2000, 2009, 2010, so in early 2010, uh, 2011. And I ended up living in East London in the Shoreditch area, Brick Lane, which is an explosion, basically, of street art and graffiti there, right? And uh, so um, then I also traveled the world, uh, visited New York, uh, Bushwick, uh, Williamsburg, uh, uh, all these places in New York are full of art. Unfortunately, when I came to New York, Five Points was already gone. Uh, I, I went to Melbourne, uh, Bogota, um, uh, Tel Aviv, and in many places around the world with a good, vibrant street art and graffiti scene. So since I have I had this background, this I, copyright is, was my occupation, let's say, and I... F- I became passionate about street art and graffiti, I decided to, you know, put together these two passions. And I thought, but, you know, should these works be copyrightable? Also, when they are created illegally, the fact that they are placed in the public environment, does this fact uh, stand in the way of their copyrightability? So this kind of question, I started asking, wondering, no, about these issues. And I, I, I decided to start researching. 
researching on on the subject. My research has been both legal and pure legal analysis, but also ethnographic analysis. So what I've done is to uh, talking, uh, making interviews with both street artists and writers, graffiti writers. I interviewed in a few years. I interviewed around uh, 1995, something between street artists and and writers. And um, the idea then was to, since I I also had quite amount of pictures and photographs that I that I took during these years of research, I decided why I thought why shouldn't I why 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 don't I uh, put up, you know, put all together these pictures and uh, publish a photographic book about these issues where I could explain with both words, let's say few words and many images, these, uh, uh, these legal issues. Of course, I used a language which is a layman language. language. It's not a, a, a lawyer's language. So I've tried to keep it uh, divulgative Right and to explain with simple few words and many images uh, the main legal issues, a sort of kind of guide, right? Uh, especially tar- addressing a targeted to artists. So um, I want to clarify. I wanted to clarify to make as easy as, easy as possible these uh, otherwise complicated legal issues. And you really see artists as the target for your book, right? Who who did you write this for? Not, not one artist in particular, but uh, uh, all the community, I would say, of both street artists and graffiti writers. Because I realized by interviewing them, by talking to them, I realized that, of course, they, they although some of them are really conscious and aware of the legal tools, but others, I would say most of them, others, uh, understandably were not fully aware of uh, of uh, the legal tools that they could use to protect their art um, against imitation, against the corporate appropriation, uh, possibly against destruction. Not the five-point case was about, uh, you know, complaining about the whitewashing. Um, uh, commissioned works, who is the owner of the right in case of commissioned works, what is the role of photographs? Uh, um, what about if they remove my mural uh, from the wall and then they, they they take it, they bring it to 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 a gallery, for example? Is it re- illegal or not? So, I I I I I I, I realized that there was this gap, right? This knowledge gap in the community, in the in the community, and that's that's that was a gap that I I decided to fill, right? By by you know by writing a very user friendly I would say uh, guide short with many images that could uh, you know help them navigate into the legal intricacies right yeah and the book itself is very very well produced and as you mentioned heavily illustrated so it's not surprising that you went with a publisher like document press um a publisher that does arts and cultural books um that has roots in the hip-hop movement rather than a traditional legal publisher uh, how did you come to work with documents well uh, a common friend i would say uh, with a curator 
um, who basically uh, suggested me to contact document in Sweden. Uh, he, he, he said to me, look, uh, they, are, they are the best when it comes to urban art uh, publishing. Uh, um, so I decided to approach them. And uh, yes, it has been a good collaboration, I think, because, you know, they have in mind their target, not the audience. Uh, and uh, so we hope that this publication is, you know, uh, is going to to do the job for which it was, you know, fought and conceived to spread knowledge, to clarify doubts if there are doubts, right? Sure. And... You mentioned the book is, you know, a very handy little book. It's it's compact. There's these 16 succinct chapters that are almost like um, entries in an encyclopedia. Um, it, some of them you'd mentioned, others include sketches, ephemerality, commissions, mm-hmm. collaborations, uh, the art market. Uh, how did you arrive at that selection of topics? Was that a conversation with the publisher was it you know like choosing your babies yes no i chose i chose these sections i i I thought let's divide the book in uh, 16 uh, sections uh, short ones so uh for each of these uh, subtopics or sub areas i thought okay i put together three four five pictures six pictures depending on the topic and then I talk about that particular issue. I don't know. Originality of tags, something which is quite provocative. I know I want to be provocative here. I wanted to be provocative. So I inserted the uh, pictures of dust tags and uh, throw-ups, no, the bubble letters pieces. And then uh, the issue of ephemerality. Uh, you know, uh, we know that graffiti and street art is, has been, is to a certain extent, ephemeral transient, uh, provisional, all right? So I decided to put there uh, pictures of uh, of murals that are fading, right? Just to, 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 to show how, you know, these forms of art are, are vulnerable, vulnerable to erasure, to the weather elements, to greedy property owners, uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, the legal tools that which... You know, in theory, could be available to artists to prevent that or to complain about about uh, the erasure and the whitewashing. So I thought these mini areas, mini mini topics, uh, they deserve uh, just a few words, introduction, and then uh, uh, images, because we know that images sometimes speak more loudly than words. Yeah, absolutely, and. There, there's a ton of them in the book. Um, this is really packed, and they're extremely helpful um, for visualizing concepts. Um, there's also one a juxtaposition that I really like. It's uh, Tilly Kelly painting from 1784, right next to a work from Stick from the 2000s uh, to show appropriation. How did you go about sourcing the images? Well, these are um, uh, basically these are um, uh, paintings that stick used as inspiration, as, uh, you know, uh, source. And basically they are in a stick book. So book uh, Stick published a book uh, six, uh, six, seven years ago. 
and in which he explains um, he, he published this picture right, based on the original painting. So what I did is to uh, retrieve the original painting and put them together with a sticker reinterpretation of the of the old painting uh, to show what to show that these forms of art are very much about sharing and appropriation culture, a so-called cut and paste culture uh, or reinterpretation culture, much more than uh, fine artists. So street artists and the graffiti writers appropriate more often than, uh, uh, than, than, than fine artists. It's a really characterizing feature of these forms of art, which, however, in my opinion, does not stand in the way of their protectability with copyright. Uh, not at all. Uh, and so I, I, I wanted to... to expand on this on this topic by putting together the old painting and then the new reinterpretation by a street artist for the other illustrations that appear throughout the book i notice some of them are your own photography others um, are acquired from other places did you have to work closely with the publisher in order to clear all the rights for these how did I, this would be just i imagine a daunting undertaking is preparing a book with this many really, you know, rich examples. Um, how did you go about that process? I did it almost myself, the clearing of rights. Really? Yes. The clearing of rights has been uh, time consuming. So for the first time I, I did so, and I really realized how sometimes a copyright could uh, discourage the creation of new works because another another person may be less less enthusiastic another person less uh, convinced than i have been would have given up probably because it has been you know in this case i would need the uh, i needed the the authorization of both the artist and the photographer that in in some in many cases they were different people so i would say 20% are my picture but the other 80% are pictures taken by either the artist or more often other people both professional photographer and uh, you know normal normal people no no professional so um it has been quite time consuming, but I wanted to do it, so I, I decided to to spend that time chasing uh, chasing artists and more importantly photographers. For just a very few of them, we couldn't find the artist or the photographer. You know, think about stickers, right? Stickers in the city, or some wet paste that I found in Tel Aviv and in Japan, in other in other countries. Well. In that case, I could still use the photo because, uh, you know, uh, uh, there are some rules which authorize the, the author to use other, you know, other picture if after a diligent search has been, has been, has been, has been conducted. So the funny thing of this is that I used my own experience by saying, look, you need to chase the, the 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 copyright owners in order to be able to use it. So 
I used my own case study for, you know, clarifying this issue uh, in the book. Uh, Sometimes, as I said, sometimes copyright can be an obstacle, unfortunately. And what was your source of courage to persevere when it became an obstacle? I I just went, I just, I I didn't give up. I just uh, keep kept chasing the photographer or the artist, or if the artist, the, the photographer didn't reply to me, I would uh, choose another photograph, another picture. Uh, so uh, I just, uh, I was a bit stubborn, right? Uh, didn't give up. And uh, because I, 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 I wanted to publish this, this photographic book. Uh, and when I start a project, uh, there is no way I cannot finish it. And going back to the text of this book, right? These uh, sixteen—do you call them chapters? Do you call them entries? Sections, I would say. Yes. <laughs> How did you arrive at this final selection? Um, were there a bunch of sections that you had kind of left on the cutting room floor? Did you, uh, you know, did you use a bulletin board where you spread them out and try to figure out, okay, what are the things that you want to make sure get into this book? What was your process like for editing this and, and coming up with a final selection? I mean, these are, I mean, the, the main issues, the main issues when it comes to copyright and street art and graffiti. So uh, the, 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 the sticky, I mean, the, 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 the intriguing issues, originality, which is a requirement for copyright, uh, sketches. In the case of sketches, we have two copyrights, one for the sketch and one for the final work, which is based on the sketch. The ephemerality is an issue, right? Uh, because uh, fixation is another requirement for copyright protection in many countries. So uh, if an artwork is ephemeral, someone may doubt about, uh, uh, about whether the fixation requirement is met. Uh, and then the collaborations, you know, collaborations between artists may lead to disputes, disputes about joint authorship and joint ownership. The same with commissioned works, right? There might be disputes between the commissioner and the and the the artist. Uh, so, I mean, each section, uh, basically, each chapter, each section uh, uh, refers to some specific legal issue, to some areas, to some aspects which may trigger legal issues and disputes, right? And I decided to, 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 to choose the most, uh, you know, the most interesting ones, I guess, for, for, for artists. Uh, the art market, uh, the fact that the corporate could be used for social uses, right? It is flexible enough to any kind of use, right? And so so I decided to, you know, to, to give it this roadmap, let's say. And were any particular sections easier to write or easier to research than others? Were others more difficult? Did some require more thoughts? Did some require you to, to really revisit and rethink? Well, not, not, no. I mean, they, they have been, I mean, not, not all easy, but... Uh, some of them I had to study, I had to, to, to match the picture, the right picture with the section, uh, because, of course, there must, be, there must be correlation between the picture and the, the, the words. 
because the picture help the pictures help the readers readers understand the legal issue right so matching the two has been uh, has been uh, has been crucial and uh, no i would say it didn't i mean it didn't cost me uh, it didn't cost me uh, long time and uh, sweat of the brow to the brow to 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 develop um, each of the section of course the entire work even if it's a short book the entire work took me a while but for other reasons as well the chasing the photographer the artist but the actual writing up has been the more you know the more creative uh, the more creative part and uh, i also like a lot the introduction the foreword by Zephyr, who is a graffiti legend in new york city which i think puts everything into context i would say yeah absolutely uh zephyr's a very established street artist here um how did that forward actually come about i interviewed him when i was in new york uh, four years ago i interviewed and then we i i mean we became friends a very nice person very nice guy he he was so patient. He introduced me a bit to, to, to the to, to the to the New York of the seventies. I mean, I already knew through the books, right, through the graffiti literature. But uh, the encounter with Zephyr has opened my eyes even further, right? And uh, he made me understand many several aspects that sometimes, just from reading the books, you are not able to to, to grasp, right? So. Uh, I think Zephyr has been uh, probably one of the artists, if not the most interested, uh, the artist most interested in what I was doing, right? Uh, the most enthusiastic, I would say. And this forward, I think, this forward confirms his enthusiasm for this book and in general for copyright as applied to these forms of art. Because we need to we need to be honest and say that uh, several not 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 many i would say but several graffiti writers more graffiti writers and to a lesser extent street artists especially graffiti writers are some of them are still reluctant they are still skeptical about street about copyright as applied to graffiti i respect that especially the hardcore graffiti writer. So it's not a monolithic subculture. It's a quite, you know, uh, various. I mean, there are various uh, opinions within uh, this pot, you know, within these graffiti subcultures. And so I respect the opinions of, uh, I would say, a, a large, uh, a, I mean, a part, at least a part of the subculture, uh, which is still uh, uh, quite skeptical about invoking a property right, right? Because they say we are vandalizing properties most of the time. So why can why why should we uh, rely on 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 another form of intellectual property? This is especially true for illegal graffiti writing. Let's say bombing the bombing at night. Let's say, but you know the this is the just a part of the bigger picture that I wanted to describe with this book. Right. Yeah, and just for our audience quickly, can you describe what bombing is just so that we are clear that it's yeah. not anything dangerous or not anything violent? No, 
Yeah, you know, just uh, I used the uh, you know graffiti terminology that needs to be clarified. Bombing, uh, especially in New York City uh, in the seventies and eighties, but until also now, is the term is the verb used to um, describe the graffiti writers in action, especially those who paint illegally at night on the trains on the train subways or on uh, you know other urban surfaces, but illegally. So uh, the terminology is also very important because especially for the graffiti subculture, not, not just not much for the street art one. The street art subculture is more open to the public, right? It's more appreciated by the general public, while the graffiti subculture is uh, perceived less uh, uh, in a, in a less friendly way, let's say, and a welcoming way by the general public, let's say. And this terminology, of course, confirms, right, the, 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 the kind of niche area we are talking about, the graffiti, the graffiti, the illegal graffiti subculture, I would say. So you can see that, uh, I mean, sometimes these definitions, these labels that we give are not appropriate. It's difficult to give a precise definition because there are several graffiti writers who also do street artworks, so figurative stuff. And vice versa, there are also street artists that sometimes either they come from the graffiti writing experience and so they keep doing both. Uh, So uh, the line distinguishing the two subcultures is quite blurred. Hence... Going back a bit, um, something that's really interesting to me uh, that you mentioned that no particular section of this book or no particular part of this book was, you know, uniquely challenging, but you felt that producing this entire publication presented its own array of challenges. What did you learn in that process? What did you discover about um, graffiti and street art and not only the legal frameworks, but also the kind of broader social issues in producing this publication? How did this really inform your thinking? Well, uh, most artists that and writers I have approached to ask them if I could use their pictures were happy about that. That's understandable because uh, it gives them visibility, right? Especially for the for the less known ones, right? In the book, there are also pictures of very well-known uh, uh, street artists such as the Black Lerat, Futura, uh, Shepard Fede. Of course, they are very established, so uh, for them, it's not really a big, a big thing, uh, of course, even if they might be happy. But for those uh, less well-known, it's probably is even better. So it increases... So. Uh, that was something which I learned, right? Uh, they like exposure. I was not surprised about street artists because I know street artists, they like exposure and visibility also amongst the other other circles, other uh, entourage. But some writers also, the, some writers here were, were happy not to, that I included their works in the, in the, in the book. So this, is, this was, was a nice thing, I think. And uh, something which I learned uh, uh, 
as I said, apart the difficulties in finding the, the sometimes in chasing for people for the clearance of rights. Uh, uh, what I think also in the other way, what I think this uh, research I, I made for coming up with this book, what I think this research has done is also to help them understand no, this issue. So, of course, the book per se aims at increasing knowledge. But in the making of the book, I spoke to artists, right? Because I, I asked them uh, if I could use their pictures. So I, I talked about the very same issues which are dealt with in the, in the book. And um, some of them have uh, replied, have changed their behavior because of the encounter with me. So, for example, some of them, they have started inserting the copyright symbol next to their murals after talking to me, which is something uh, very good. I mean, which is something uh, which I am quite uh, happy about because it means that my research, my study, has been able to change some behaviors for the better, in my opinion. So you're really helping artists to think very carefully about this work. And you mentioned other artists, of course, are somewhat resistant to copyright as well. So that's a very interesting thing. Um, what has been the overall reception for this book? How um, has it been received by artists? And I imagine also many legal scholars are interested in this as well. Have you heard any feedback yet? Not precise, because I mean, it was uh, published in Europe in November, in America, December, January. So it's still a bit early to have a clear uh, picture of the feedback. But the early, the early impressions I had were I got were positive of both artists and and the legal and the legal scholars uh, because I mean so far there has not been anything like this you know a photographic book on this issue so it, it, it is the first it is the first and um, actually it is not my last <laughs> effort in this field because I'm working now on a on a, on a book not photographic, a normal book on um, on the basically what I'm doing is putting together the most interesting bits of my interview with the street artists and writers. Uh, so what I want to do there is to publish this monograph, short monograph, uh, where the voice from the street comes out, the opinions of street artists and writers on copyright on copying, imitation, and so destruction, this kind of stuff. Uh, so that would be a sort of uh, continuum of this research, of this photo from the photographic book towards maybe a more uh, a divulgative, uh, no? without many photos, just, just words, um, probably a more academic book, but not legal, to be more socio, socio, socio-legal where I will uh, make uh, the interviews with the, the artist emerge from the street. Mm -hmm. And what inspired that? It's an interesting tack to take. Well, because I, when, I, when I 
when I saw all my interviews transcribed, no? And I, I print them, I printed them out. I had like, you know, 200 pages of interview. Of course, then I needed to work. I'm working on them and to turn them into a book. So I thought I have this amount of data from the street, the voice of the street, the voice of artists and writers on these issues. I need to give these voices a space in the academic world or in the even in the less academic, because this book will be more divulgative, let's say, than with some academic insights, of course, but it will be more divulgative. So I thought, why should these interviews remain in the, you know, in the on my desk? They should instead go out. And uh, now I am in, in the process of, uh, you know, uh, of uh, putting together these interviews with the other, you know, with other uh, pieces of, of, of study I've made. So uh, it will not be entirely interviews, but I would say 60, 70 percent of the book, 65, let's say, will be interviews. And then my my considerations, my thoughts uh, and uh, my, you know, my ideas around that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it will be the first the first of book of this kind with uh, all these opinions and ideas. So I want to give artists and writers voice and to unearth their 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 opinions, which now are quite submarine, are quite hidden. Nobody knows what they think. Why do you think that is? Because nobody asked them so far. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not a topic that which is, you know, uh, there have been cases, as you may know, there have been cases in America, so scholars have started talking about these issues and writing about these issues, uh, uh, also other academics. Uh, there have been a few books uh, which are the result of you know, ethnographic analysis, uh, but just a couple of them, but uh, not with, uh, with the necessary... Uh, opening and not with the necessary depth, I would say. So it sounds like you are going to produce yet another tremendous contribution to a very important conversation. I hope so, yes, I hope so. All right, Enrico. Well, I wanted to congratulate you on Protecting Art in the Street, a guide to copyright in street art and graffiti, a publication that I've enjoyed immensely and I strongly recommend for anyone either in the legal field or especially anyone who's interested in any branch of art law. And I wanted to thank you for joining me on New Books in Law. Nick, thanks. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to stay with you and to, to answer your questions.